Good evening, everyone. All right. This is episode 23 of the Beef and Bitcoin podcast with your host, Brett CH. Today's topics, Binance looks to be uh, going the way of every single other exchange that gets uh, too big. We'll talk about that. We got some updates from Facebook coin, Global coin, whatever you want to call it, Zuckbucks. Looks like uh, they have a decent amount of people signing up to run $10 million nodes. We'll talk about that. And then macro news. I mean, political risk seems to be increasing pretty quickly here. Italy is proposing taxing on savings, um, just pushing people closer to Bitcoin. It's great. Um, but other than that, man, what's, uh, what's going on? You know, as we said earlier, Bitcoin is, looks super bullish right now. Uh, it, from the chart perspective and from just the whole macro perspective, which we'll cover later, um, it's there's a lot going on globally right now, like a lot, a lot. Um, that's really, and I mean a lot, a lot we had just recently um, within the uh, Gulf of Oman, which is between Iran and uh, Saudi Arabia, and I think Yemen and Oman too. Uh, there was two oil tankers hit. Two or four. There's there's multiple hit earlier in May, I think, if I remember correctly, and then there was more hit recently. Uh, it's causing a lot of hectic, a lot of, you know, is are people going? Is there going to be a war? Is there going to be, you know, U.S. is U.S. going to attack Iran? Is someone else? You know, who knows? Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that affects Bitcoin going forward. Here, I think that's nothing but bullishness for Bitcoin. Kind of the same aspect as gold and silver. They're they're neutral money. Um, but it's pretty interesting to see, um, speaking of neutral money, what Binance has been doing here. Uh, Binance coin just took a shit, actually. <laughs> I'm going to use that term because it did. Um, it it was crushing it, and then it just dumped hard. Um, I guess it might came back a little bit, but it dumped like probably close to 15% in the U.S. dollar. It went from 36 down to, yeah, about 15% down to 29 um, on the news that basically um, they are going to be not, you know, they're going to have a different user interface platform for basically U.S. citizens. And we're seeing this with Bitrex, we're seeing this Poloniex, we're seeing this with quite a few U.S. exchanges. Uh, I haven't heard anything about Kraken. Kraken's pretty resistant to change, just like they were. They basically told the uh, New York AG and they told BitLicense to fuck off. <laughs> That's what they did. They're like, yeah. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, no, it's good to see that, but um, but I'm pretty surprised to see Binance doing that. I guess it's just maybe to cover their ass, or whatnot. Um, yeah, I mean, you have to once the exchanges from from what I hear historically, you know, Poloniex did the same thing. It was your favorite non KYC exchange to go on and just fucking trade the shit out of shit coins, and um, you know, they implemented KYC, had to delist a bunch of shit coins, and everybody moved. To to Bitrix, and then same thing happened at Bitrix, and then everybody moves on, and then Binance shows up um, towards the end of 2017, if I remember correctly, and literally every single person who was every single retail trader moved over to Binance, and they were very less stringent on KYC laws, and now they're they're too big. I mean, they they're taking heat. Everybody's trading on Binance, and. Um, now you're seeing this play out in real time, you know, CZ's crushing it. 
minting money over there. And, um, you know, they're going to have a, a separate uh, geofenced site for U.S. customers. And it will not have nearly as many shit coins trading on it if I had to make a guess. Um, and what sucks for retail traders who like to trade shit coins is that 25% of, uh, I think it was the volume on Binance is coming from US traders. So all of that liquidity that's being pumped into certain shit coins who will not be on the, um, the US version of Binance just goes away. And you can see it right from that chart there. I mean, US is the lion's share U.S. citizens are the lion's share of the people trading on uh, Binance. That's a fact. And like, so when you when those illiquid shitcoins get even more illiquid because now the majority of the people trading them can't trade them anymore, you're going to see an alt season of winter coming for these shitcoins that are just not going to get traded anymore. And uh, you know that's a shame for the people who like to trade shit coins like that. But um, just another, you know, economics lesson happening in real time that the show does not go on forever and there may not be an alt season for your favorite shit coin. Um, again, just like all the, the past coins that we've seen from 2013, 2014, nobody's even heard of them anymore. And they were the next Bitcoin or Bitcoin 2.0 for a long time and then, uh, or being sold as the next Bitcoin. And now no one's even heard of them. Any newcomers coming into the space? So, I mean, what what does this mean for Binance? What do you think? Oh, this is interesting. I'm just I wanted to note um, because obviously people who aren't watching on YouTube can't see the chart. This is a Binance traffic in the last six months, um, and estimated visitors in millions. For the U.S., it's probably about 41 million, it's just over the 40 million mark. Um, India is the next biggest at about 12, 13 million. Same with Japan, and then it drops way below 10 million to probably about 7 million um, with Germany, Turkey. And so I was pretty interested to see that Vietnam is at like 5 million. I was didn't expect that country to pop out of nowhere. Huh. Yeah, I, I was like kind of looking across the list of like, Vietnam, what the hell? You know, um, but anyways, so the U.S. basically makes the 41 million users for the U.S. covers almost probably the rest of the users, to be honest, majority of them. Because it gets pretty right. low after that. Um, I wouldn't say all of it. It probably covers, you know, as I said, India, Japan, and then Germany and all those. are. So, I mean, it really makes up, it's probably close to 50%, if not 40% of the traffic. Uh, so, yeah, it's I a mean, good amount. Yeah. And that's, um, that's, that's a devastating blow when those users will not have access to the same um, tokens, I guess we can call them in this example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I was just fetching shit coins. Yeah, <laughs> so was I. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it's basically a change in the terms of use, and it was saying prohibition of use. I'm just reading this. You can see it if you're watching YouTube. I'm going to read this. Uh, it says the third point is prohibition of use by accessing and using the services you represent and warrant that you are not on any trade or economic sanctions list, such as the UN Security Council sanction list designated as a specialty designation by the OFAC, Office of Foreign Assets Control of the U.S. Treasury Department, or placed on the U.S. Commerce Department denied persons list. Binance is unable to provide services to U.S. Per- any U.S. person 
Binance maintains the right to select its markets and jurisdictions to operate and may restrict or deny the services in certain countries at its discretion. I think the first part's really interesting. I didn't read over that, or I guess I kind of like breezed over it, but the sanctions, does that mean Iran's fucked? I mean, like... I would assume that um, Iranian citizens can't use Binance. I so mean, that, if Binance wants to play nice, then I'm, I'm sure that that's they really won't interesting allow that. Because... If the U.S. decides to sanction any certain country, uh, that's very interesting. Yeah, right. Would Binance then have to geofence that country out of Venezuela? Venezuela's no, I mean, sanctioned. Sure. Like, our, I don't. I don't know if Venezuelan citizens are allowed to use Binance. I don't. I don't know that actually. Um, from what I hear, local Bitcoin seems to be the go-to um, exchange for for venezuelans uh, which makes sense i mean everything's blocked there anyway Yo, uh, there's some bi- there's some venezuelan people they're probably like one to two million down there visitors or traffic. Oh, good for them i'm glad yeah. well i guess hmm, I'd, I'd prefer if they didn't trade shit coins but they're <laughs> trading one shit coin for another and hopefully not getting rid of bitcoin but um, i'm opening up the uh, ofac's uh foreign ass controls to it countries I don't know how it doesn't have a date for this, but currently sanctioned countries include the Balkans, Belarus, Burma, Cote d'Ivoire, the Ivory Coast, Cuba, Democratic Republic of Congo, Iran, Iraq, Liberia, North Korea, Sudan, Syria, and Zimbabwe. Yikes! Uh, and that I don't know how recent this is. There's there's a more updated one. Oh, Treasury Gov resources. Oh wow, this is there's a lot here. This is what you call the U.S. dollar hegemony, a.k.a. a financial weapon. Uh, this is why Bitcoin is important. This is because for the better part of, I guess you could say, 40 or so, probably close to 50 years now almost, um, since the it became the petrodollar, uh, the dollars really became a financial weapon. Um, and a good example, I, was, I mentioned this to Crypto Humor the other day, a lot of people don't know of really... And uh, Ron Paul, there's there's a good pro con or pro con debate on. I opened it up. I don't know what I did with it. Um, on you know, one of the reasons the U.S. went into Iraq was they. So Iraq had five percent of the global um, oil supply or produ- producing five percent of the supply at that time in two thousand November two thousand when Saddam said he was only going to trade um, oil for euros because countries like France, Italy were in favor of. You know, lessening sanctions and helping out Iraq because Iraq had been sanctioned after the original Gulf War. Um, and then countries like Britain and the U.S. were very hard-nosed and, you know, wanted more sanctions, etc. Um, and people were saying it didn't make sense. Well, I'm going to show you what happened with – so people were saying because the euro USD was in fall at the time. I'm going to pull this up and just show you because people were saying, oh, this is a terrible idea. You know, um, speaking of which, euro USD looks like it dumped pretty hard. I'm going to zoom out <laughs> here though uh, because – the euro euro started 92 i want to say but it really didn't i think that actual paper currency didn't hit like the streets until 2002 um and so basically when when iraq started buying that they bought the fucking dip i mean so november 2000 right there that that was the bottom at uh basically 84 you know 0.84 to the dollar or uh, you know a dollar was, you know, a euro of the U.S. dollar. And then from there, the until the invasion of Iraq, it went up 
So we're looking at March 2003 here. Yeah, the euro went up basically 20% that time, um, which is pretty incredible. Maybe even more than that. Holy shit. Yeah, so the euro went up 25%. And I know it doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're talking billions of dollars, 25% is a lot. Um, and so the, there's a lot more reasons in this world why you know the U.S. does certain things and why we strategically move into certain positions. Um, and so there's a, for people who don't know, there's a very good reason for why we went to Iraq. They were trading oil for euros and not the U.S. dollar. Uh, and that, again, as we mentioned at the start with the whole um, oil tanker getting hit, uh, hit by limpet mines in the Gulf of Oman, um, the big deal with that was it shot oil prices up because oil prices up until then were in free fall for the past few weeks if you've been watching. Um, they've been falling really hard. And what better way to you know, pump the supply, then hit a few oil tankers and scare everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you kind of nailed it, um, you know, mentioning the sanctions list and why Bitcoin is so important. And our good friend Brad Sherman pretty much laid the case out absolutely perfectly in about, um, you know, a minute and 30 seconds and pretty much said it. You can use cryptocurrency, Bitcoin specifically, to evade sanctions. Um, and that is a no-go if you're Brad Sherman. Um, <clears throat> so you can see how this is becoming very, very powerful um, when you can avoid those types of sanctions that end up um, being used and, you know, the uh, fiat currencies, specifically the U.S. dollars, weaponized um, and a lot of these um, different kind of geopolitical circumstances, which is honestly a shame, but it really just goes to show you why it's important that you have a non-sovereign money and a, a money that is apolitical that is outside of the control of any single entity, any single corporation, government, whatever you want to call it. Um, it just really goes to show you how important that is and I think that will become very obvious in hindsight. So maybe when, you know, when your kids or your grandkids are reading a history book about this time in history, it will just be so blatantly obvious why Bitcoin was necessary or moving back to a sound money uh, standard globally makes sense because uh, these things are only possible and profitable when you can manipulate the the currency and stand to gain from things like this i mean and um to kind of tie it up and close it off with the whole binance issue um these kyc laws just cripple businesses so binance is going to struggle with um making and generating more revenue through uh through fees which makes a ton of sense i mean just as we showed you with that chart um U.S. citizens make up a, a, a good portion of the of the visits or Logan use that as a proxy for trading volume on Binance. I mean, what else is new? All that liquidity kind of dries up in some of these particular tokens. And uh, I'm, I'm sure Binance revenue will take a hit. But I really hope that the non-geofenced Binance that keeps everything going um, continues to flourish. It would actually be nice to see. Because uh, uh, BitMEX, I guess, would need some competition. I mean, BitMEX is insanely profitable. They operate in Hong Kong, a very capitalistic um, place. And it is great to see them 
kind of flourish and absolutely crush it. So you can see how profitable it is to become a Bitcoin business in the future when you are not subject to um, all kinds of just additional cost of compliance, because that's all it really is. The barrier to entry is the cost of compliance, right? I mean, how much more is it going to cost Binance to run just its Binance USA operation with all of the additional compliance and regulatory issues that they're going to have to go through? That's exactly the reason why BitMEX doesn't do business with U.S. citizens, because they're cost, not cost. going to. Yeah, right. I mean, they're not. They're not going to. They're not going to deal with those costs of compliance. It's a joke. Like it. it completely ruins their business model. They operate with no fiat whatsoever. That's huge. And the fact that they're already scaling and doing so well with the the collateral is Bitcoin. I mean, that's literally what it is. That's the only way to get value on their exchange and to participate in their um, different um, financial products. That's the only way to do it. And I have a feeling that will continue where you're going to see Bitcoin only um, companies, they're going to um, find themselves moving to countries that are very pro-business and they're going to absolutely crush it. So I, I don't know. That window is probably going to come to a close. I mean, you have a couple more years before the next biggest industries for um, start to mimic what BitMEX is doing. And... They're going to absolutely crush it. They're going to crush it. I, I hope Binance can see what they can do here and, and stay competitive, but that's also why they launched a token, right? I mean, it's it's the perfect kind of utility shitcoin to throw at people to create your own um, internal currency to use as trading fees. I mean, if it ever starts trending towards zero, what are they going to do? They're going to move to a, a, a Bitcoin-only model where they uh that's what they're making their trading fees in just exactly like bitmax does so it'll be i mean i was gonna say it'd be interesting because you know binance is looking to open that marketplace in the future i saw someone tweet the other day you know two coins and holding bitcoin and uh bnb which is binance's coin uh, that's a ticker for it um if binance does make a successful marketplace and say they offer a 10 percent discount for using bnb or whatever it is on products on that marketplace, that could be an actual real source of demand. And who knows where Binance would go then? Right. I, and that's, a, yeah, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting business model because it, it, would that be not dissimilar to buying seats on uh, an exchange? Like if you're buying a seat on the CBOE or whatever, yeah. and you're getting discounts for trading fees, right? I mean, this is a little different and you would, you would own a piece of the CBOE in this example, but here you get a, a chance to own a piece of Binance and they have, you know, whatever burning mechanism that they use, but sounds a whole lot like equity, but it's different because it, it's also being used in this weird, um, utility kind of way to execute trading fees. But believe me, if it ever gets unprofitable and BNB starts getting closer to zero, they're just going to switch it back to using Bitcoin, which is what they default to anyway, I think. Either that or um, or USDT. I don't know how their specific trading engine works, how it kind of um, will default your trading fees. Like if you have BNB and you want to use it, I, I'm sure you can like turn that on and use BNB as your trading fee. And then if you don't have any BNB, it'll take Bitcoin. Or if you don't have any Bitcoin, it'll take USDT and, and so on and so forth. But um, 
yeah, I mean, as long as they scale up and continue to have volume, either way they'll, they'll they'll survive. But it's interesting to see them as the bigger they get, kind of they are forced to yield to regulatory issues when they they stayed in that gray area probably for as long as they could without CZ getting a little worried about things getting a little too hot, I'm sure with the SEC. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, it's it's an interesting topic because, it, you know, as we said before, we have no clue where the future takes us. And, you know, as we said, like, obviously, crypto has really ripped back, as you'll hear in episode 22, uh, has ripped back quite a bit, as we mentioned, you know, Bitcoin's up 180% since the lows, you know, Ethereum, Litecoin are up a couple hundred percent each. So it... You know, who knows where we're going into? Will there be another stupid bull market? I have no clue. Um, I'm just here to watch. Commentate on it. It's, it's, it's going to be fun to watch, to say the least, if we get another FOMO period, having been through it not too long ago, even though right. it really has been over a year and a half. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time, and it, it just goes to, sh- yeah, it, it seems like it wasn't that bad now that. I mean, it's it's hard to like make the statement like, oh, we're out of it just because we, I mean, we've seen such a pump in the last couple of weeks. But it it felt like a really long time when you're in the bear market. And then once you're out of it, it's like, oh, it wasn't that bad. It's over. Um, and I, you know, I've, I've heard people say that like, oh, you know, 2013 to 2015 was way worse, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I'm sure it fucking was, man. This was pretty bad for any new person who got in in 2017 and ended up trying to hodl through the entire bear market. I'm sure it was a mess. They didn't open up Binance for like nine months probably. I mean, I know I didn't. What was the point of going on? Yeah. Everybody was just pissed. I mean, (laughs) like it's hard to explain. But you know what I did? I took that entire year and a half and I fucking read everything that I possibly could. I learned as much as I possibly could. Next thing you know, I'm deep down the rabbit hole of Austrian economics and um, just what Bitcoin is, what's money. Like you start asking yourself all these questions, trying to connect the dots and put the puzzle together. And it, and then you start looking at what's going on around you and it's this gigantic puzzle and you're just putting all the pieces together and everything's starting to make sense. Like you can start pointing to things that you see in real life. You're like, Oh yeah. Like sanctions or for whatever particular country, they should use Bitcoin. Like you start seeing solutions to these problems in different industries and verticals or geopolitical landscapes. And it, it just starts to make sense. Like the whole thing is happening all at once. So in hindsight, all of this is just going to look so obvious. Um, because you know everything's obvious in hindsight and it will it will start to make sense we'll build our own narratives in our brain to make them make sense but it's kind of hard to tell when you're living it here and now right yeah no it is it's very much so um i just thought something was pretty funny the uh, i was just looking at this oil chart because i pulled up oil just to show that like oil the other day did pump on that news i'll zoom in quickly but i was going to mention quickly the uh the december 24th bottom in the equities market it matches the oil bottom too. Um, and that's what I'm really scared about is global liquidity. It's being it's, it's all being driven by central banks just injecting themselves with heroin or injecting the system with heroin basically because that's what it is. That's all it is. As we talked about in the previous episode 22, money just once, once it's pumped in the system, just kind of makes its way out and finds its way through things. Um, and that's a very scary thought because like who knows where oil is heading. Oil, we could see like 
for all I know, we could see 20 or barrel in the in the coming year, and maybe not by this year, but sooner or later. Um, and that's just a natural process of this deflation cycle, and we're going to see it happen. You know, same thing in the equities market. It's pretty scary. I know that probably this is probably a pretty good transition into what we were going to talk macro-wise because we did cover a lot about sanctions. I went on a pretty big rant on that. Um, you you want to talk about macro stuff and then talk about Facebook uh, yeah, updates? We should do that because we already covered quite a bit of macro, I feel like. Um, do you want to cover this Italy proposing tax and saving the safety box? Yeah. I mean, so just what I was kind of talking about with the, the puzzle pieces starting to get put together, Italy is proposing a tax on savings and safety deposit boxes. And from retail deposits are also at all-time highs. Um, and, uh, you know, this is just your typical kind of Keynesian thinking, like we're going we're gonna to tax the citizens um, to try to get ourselves out of this mess. And they're going to, you know, tax the holders of the currency and hope that it will encourage them to take that money out of their uh, safety deposit boxes and go spend it. Pump my bags, pump the economy up. And it's just such a beautiful, beautiful use case for Bitcoin. Because if you're making the assumption that someone's willing to take cash um, or even gold, whatever, it doesn't matter. If take an asset that they believe will hopefully help store value for them and put it in a safety deposit box, um, and and then you're going to get taxed on your holdings in there, which I'm sure would actually be pretty difficult because you'd need a valuation of whatever you're putting into the box and then um, yeah. set the tax rate or whatever. And then you'd have to pay that annually. Like that sucks. If you knew you had to pay 10% on, let's say a thousand bucks you put in there, you're like, man, like I'm gonna have to pay a hundred bucks to put a thousand dollars in, in my bank, literally like physically, that really sucks. You might as well take a thousand dollars, um, buy Bitcoin with it, uh, write down your recovery seed, um, you know, put it in a safe, put it somewhere safe and just sit on it and cross your fingers and hope that it's worth more in the future. Cause that's literally what you're doing with the Euro. Anyway, you're hoping that it doesn't, um, <laughs> hyperinflate by the time you get to use it. Right. So it's just so obvious, um, that, that these, it, it can't be any more bullish for <laughs> something like Bitcoin or any non-sovereign money. Like it's such a good time to, attack fiat if you are a non-sovereign money or something vying to be sound money you're just going to start making a lot more sense to a lot more people because the fiat experiment is um starting to unwind here i was going to say i was going to read this little quote here from the article those who voluntarily declared their deposit box holdings would be taxed at a low rate of about 15 percent he added <laughs> Only 15%. So let's say you had $100,000 worth of euros or whatever. So you just lost $15,000. That sucks. Yeah, it's stupid. It's really stupid. Uh, you guys probably know, if you're after listening to our podcast, I'm very much against taxation, especially income tax. It's the biggest scam in the world. It didn't exist before 1913. Um, and yeah, it's it's... Why do I say that? Because... If you don't pay those taxes, men with guns from government will come and take you and put you away. That is as simple as it is. Um, and so it's 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 not your it's not a choice. It's forced, you know, um, and it's ridiculous. And people, you know, you say, well, you look at our country now. It's like, great. What am I paying taxes to? I'm a young person. Right. Uh, Medicare, Medicaid is going to be done in 2026, and Social Security 2034. Like, 
they can't push it back any farther at this point. They already did that back in the 80s or whatever. I think I was reading something about Ronald Reagan, one of his guys, I can't remember who it was, tried doing it, and it had a huge backlash. The guy said it was unsustainable, and they cut it back. And I think you and I talked about the other day, like, um, the amount of money these people get in, like, Social Security um, is a lot, and you take that away from people. I think it's, like, was it $27,000 a year or something like that, roughly, it comes out to? Yeah. Um, and so you think about that. That's a lot of money that goes in the economy when you think about the amount of people that are on Social Security. I know it's an older part of the population, but that boomer generation is a large chunk of the U.S. population. Um, so that's something to really think about. It's like, okay, well, that's millions of dollars that if – Say theoretically, Social Security stops. Okay, well, that's free money the government's giving to citizens, or I guess it's a tax, but it's free money, is what it is, because it's obviously it's it's not funded. It isn't right, and that's that's actually a really good point, and this is what people don't think about. Um, they're paying for these things by, you know, essentially, for lack of a better term, printing the money. Right? It's not that they have to raise all this money through taxation and then they're redistributing those funds to other people. Uh, it doesn't work like that. Like there isn't enough money coming in through taxation to cover all of the, um, different government programs that exist today. So how do you sustain those? Well, that's why, uh, the cost of education has increased substantially and we've seen housing bubbles and we've seen, um, uh, auto loan bubbles. I mean, you, you name an industry, like it's bubbling in some way, shape or form or some part of it. Um, and, and that's the effect that you get. So when you hear people talk about, Oh, there's no inflation or, Oh, you know, it doesn't cost anything. It most certainly costs somebody something. You're just not looking hard enough at who is, um, having to pay that tax. So while it doesn't necessarily, and, and this is a good point. Somebody made a, a good point the other day saying like, if you physically had to write a check or send the money every two weeks to the federal government for the taxes that you owe, like there would be rioting in the streets. But since it comes out automatically, you don't even think twice about it. Like it just is what it is and that's it. You have no choice. But Yeah, like you have no choice about it. Whereas the small business owner, they feel it. Because they, uh, you know, they can do certain withholdings and other different strategies where it doesn't make it as difficult for them to try to send in however much they owe on April fifteenth. But for the average person who is working, um, not self-employed, they don't even see that. So it's just it's it's like a like a just sunk cost that they have to deal with, and they don't think too much about it, which is probably why we don't learn that much about it in school. Because if we did, you'd be pissed off about it, and you'd probably start saying something, and then tax rates would start to decrease because people would be pissed. Um, that's also another reason why you'd want to eliminate cash and go to a cashless society because you won't have let's call it just a black market, and you know your possible corner store or whatever any businesses that you go to that operate only in cash, it's very difficult to determine um, if those businesses are accurately reporting their taxes. And um, there's a reason why companies who get tax breaks can create more jobs and offer better prices. It's because there's, their costs are now decreasing. So if you think that increasing the tax rate on a certain group of individuals will benefit everyone, you are sorely mistaken. If anything, you want to benefit everybody, decrease the top, the costs of everything to everyone and <laughs> make the tax rate zero. 
didn't Ron Paul say something? Uh, somebody had said to him, like, are you upset that, you know, 1% of the population or whatever has a tax rate of zero? And he's like, he's like, good. It looks like we're making progress or something to that yeah. effect. No, but, I, um, I don't know. Yeah, I think I know you're talking about. But it, it, it's just ridiculous. Um, and like, because, you know, the taxing is just, you know, like the U.S. has been at war for 18 years, like. We've printed a shit ton of money to cover that. I can tell you that much. Like, right? Um, that's what I mean. It wasn't free, even though you. It doesn't seem like anybody paid for it. You physically didn't take money out of your checking account and send it to them so that they could use it specifically for whatever it is, be it war. Um, you know, people paid with their lives. We paid for it with the, um, just the 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 um, the inflation of, uh, other asset price, um, assets in the economy, real assets that have gone up tremendously in price. Like it's a huge fucking deal. You can't just think of everything as, Oh, the, uh, the cost of a sandwich or whatever's hasn't gone up that much. Well, yeah. I mean, if you take a look at the CPI, it's not even the same basket anymore. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a joke. I mean, they're going to do whatever. That's the fun, interesting thing about statistics is as long as nobody's reading the fine print, you can manipulate them to get whatever outcome you want. Right. I mean, you're exactly. Oh right. yeah. Oh yeah. Um, inflation's only two, uh, between two and 3%. That's not that bad. Well, who's going to double check that? Like nobody's doing that. And if you change the underlying underlying basket of goods, that determines that so you can always make it 2% then yeah it's going to look that way and then of course that's what's being taught in uh <clears throat> in high schools and even in higher education um uh, which is absolutely ridiculous yeah it's it's got on hand to say the least um and we see it globally obviously it's not just the US it's a lot of countries um and speaking of macro it is it will be interesting to see um where I know we were covering the Italy thing, but the e obviously Italy's part of the EU. How this whole EU thing unfolds, you know, Britain's leaving. There's, it's going to happen. Um, I think it's only a matter of time. We're seeing nationalism, populism rise um, across the globe. I think it's a matter of time before we see a lot more member states leave. And in my opinion, um, like my personal thing is, I think the EU will be non-existent by 2030. It might happen before that. But I think the euro, the euro as a currency is fucked. It just right. is, and yeah, and and that's a, and you know, it's hard to say because the way I think about it is, well, that's bullish for Bitcoin. Obviously, the as the as these fiat experiences um, experiments start coming to an end across the globe, um, where are you going to turn to? You're going to turn to a a non-sovereign money, and that's what makes um, things like Bitcoin and gold so special. Um, it, it takes a proof of work to get it right. You can't just print it out of thin air and then use it to, um, pay for whatever it is that you want. And that's why we see so much malinvestment. So we like to talk about this to bring the whole picture together because the macro landscape starts to make sense. And you see all of these things start failing in certain places and for certain reasons. And you can, you can literally tie the root cause of all of them back to fiat currencies. It's not that difficult to do. And it's not a conspiracy theory. It's simple. It's like very basic at a fundamental level. Um, that's why it's malinvestment. And because there was no proof of work for obtaining that fiat, it's going to be misallocated. And, you know, it starts to unravel eventually. It doesn't go on forever. Um, and, and we're seeing that. And you're seeing 
the monetization of an asset in real time, which nobody's gotten to see because I'm sure it took way fucking longer for gold because they didn't have the technology to get the liquidity that it needed to become a global money fast enough because it doesn't scale the same way as something like Bitcoin does because it's not software. So when you look at how quickly things are adopted and when you consider the fact that money is a technology and now you have things like the internet, you have things like cell phones and encryption and wallets built directly into cell phones, hardware wallets, scaling solutions, everything like that. It's not that difficult to imagine using something else as money in the future. It would be, it wouldn't surprise me one bit. It would have, if you asked me maybe three years ago. Um, but people can never imagine a world different than the way it is today, right? I mean, would you have thought any of this would have happened if you were looking back a couple of years? Like, when do you even start questioning what money is? I mean, I didn't for ever. Yeah, no, I'm the same boat as you. I, I, yeah, it took me a while to get to that point. Even when I got into crypto, I didn't. I mean, I, you know, I started to question more then in terms of what money was. But it wasn't until I jumped more down the rabbit hole with this one. Um, and now I'm like just so far down that rabbit hole of money. It's just like it's not even fun anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it can. I think the good news is that um, it's taught me a lot and I've learned a lot. And I think now I can look at these things in a different lens where. I mean, I could see how things could look really shitty if you didn't think that there might be a solution to the money problem. Um, yeah, I mean, things could look pretty, pretty bad, like really bad. Everything you see around you is like, oh man, like it's getting worse. But um, these things do not last forever. And that's what makes it fun is that you're actually getting to see these things happen in real time, which is absolutely wild and mind-blowing when you take a couple steps back and really think about it yeah no it's pretty nuts to say the least where we're at in that sense um, you want to uh should we talk about these facebook coin updates now that we're talking about this yeah might as well Do you want to pop <laughs> into right. these coins? yeah i mean so you know we talked about the you know facebook coin a couple of weeks ago and it looks like we have some new information um, that's came out, I guess, actually pretty recently, maybe even today, but, um, it looks like <laughs> Zuckerberg has found himself a couple of people who want to buy his bags and are willing to pay $10 million each to run a node for global coin. So the likes of Visa, MasterCard, Uber, PayPal, the, um, the usual suspects here who are looking to, um, pay for access to the data that is generated from Facebook stablecoin. So if you assume that, and I think Facebook wants to have at least a hundred customers for this, $10 million a pop, you're looking at what, what is that like a, a billion dollars in, in revenue? I mean, that's, that's nothing to shake a stick at. And it, that's just like that. So you're paying for access for user data that you can hopefully use to, um, assist you in generating even more revenue for your business. And I mean, it makes perfect sense. It's exactly like the WeChat model. And you, you create this stable coin and we're still in that regulatory gray area where, um, Facebook can probably still get away with doing this. And 
it'll be interesting to see how they maneuver themselves. And they've made a couple of pretty good hires, I think. I'm sure they have someone who used to work at the CFTC there um, who will handle uh, some of those uh, regulatory issues with um, commodities markets. And it's it's really not a surprise. But I will say I think overall it's it's extremely bullish because you're going to have uh, let's just let's call it a billion users um, who will now have access to a cryptocurrency and if you take a percentage of those that want to learn more about it and choose to go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole you've just onboarded a ton of new users just like that without even trying and people will start to jump down this rabbit hole and it will end up if, if I had to guess becoming a really big on-ramp um, for the space in general and bring a ton of new users to Bitcoin and you know what maybe they'll even do us a favor and um, help to figure out what a good UX looks like what do people like they're going to start a B testing ways to get people interested how to teach them about it how to make um, you know intuitive wallet software start messing around with multi-signature solutions and and security um, assuming they allow you to self-custody, who knows if they will, but there really can only be benefits to this. I don't really see too many negatives. One, because I don't think it competes with Bitcoin at all because it's a stable coin. Um, and two, it's a basket of fiat shit coins that will inevitably not keep their peg as we know they all inflate anyway. So, um, I would assume that if the underlying basket of currencies is susceptible to inflation, you're really just adding more risk onto <laughs> risky monies as it is, right? So there's not going to be anything too stable about it, but it will be a great on-ramp for a billion new users. I mean, it's it's fantastic news. Yeah, we, we were discussing for the podcast, respecting uh, what currencies would be in the fiat basket. I assume probably like you know, Euro, USD, uh, JPY, maybe the yuan, you know, Chinese yuan. It'll be interesting to see, probably Swiss franc, um, what they make this basket of fiat currencies up. You know, if they're smart, they would put it with something asset-backed, like oil or gold or silver, something, you know, a little more stable, but, you know. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see BTC be used as a part of the underlying. I don't think it will for a but it would be i mean if you were going to do it right that's how you would do it yeah. although i don't think i don't think trying to make a stable coin is a good idea at all um things are volatile uh, volatile naturally you can't peg something it's artificial um that's anything centrally managed as we know tends to not work right so if you think you can centrally manage a peg uh you're going to have a very difficult time doing that i mean it's it's just obvious. People have tried. I mean, they tried to do the same thing. They tried to peg um, silver to gold at a fixed ratio, and it went nuts. I mean, it doesn't work when you try to instill these pegs, because everything has different stock to flow ratios. And if they have, if they're physical commodities, they have other use cases outside of their monetary premium. So if the um, demand for silver increases and the price is increasing at the same time, it's much easier to produce silver than say something like Bitcoin. So, um, supply will then increase, the price will drop and, um, um, 
you know, you, you will find that equilibrium again. And Bitcoin's the only thing that doesn't work that way because as demand increases, there is no supply response to that demand response. It's set already. So the supply response will happen at a predetermined time um, regardless of what the demand is. And that's very powerful and interesting when you really think about it from a supply and demand perspective to have something that literally cannot have a supply response. That's unlike any other asset on the planet. Um, and that's why Bitcoin's so volatile, right? Because it's actually scarce um, and there can be no supply response. It's, you know, it blows my mind when I think about it. Mm. Yeah, no, that, that really... Um, like that takes allows it to run right right and you get this um it's like a what did satoshi say like a self-fulfilling prophecy it's you know it's this positive feedback loop and if you also make the assumption that price drives adoption price drives adoption you have the price increasing then adoption increasing at the same time because the price keeps increasing and it's more like people are buying today because like price is going up than they were when it was below 8,000 a couple of days ago. You know what I mean? Like that's just emotions running and eventually you get this positive feedback loop, right? But you're still at a time when you can have complete exhaustion of demand just like we saw in December of 2017 when the top blew off pretty much but like okay so here's a good point like in December of 2017 were you thinking Facebook would launch a stable coin they they did mention something I think though the article did mention that it did mention um something about Facebook did launch a coin of some sort yeah yeah I mean they'd had like Facebook credits or something like it's not the first time that they've um tried to do this and it's not that it, it's not um, possible to do or execute on. Uh, you know, what do people use Fortnite? They play Fortnite and use like an in-game currency. Uh, it's not the first time we've seen in-game currencies being used before. Now you have this this in-social network currency that's operating pretty similar to WeChat. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if. They just didn't well, think to well, do it. Will vendors accept it, or what, that's the real question? Well, well the, I, I don't know. Uh, if it's peer to peer, that's if it operates like WeChat. And from what I understand from WeChat, is you can pretty much do everything you would do for all the different apps that we have. Like you can just do everything in WeChat, and it has your wallet in it as well. Um, so everything's being tracked, all the movement of money, uh, like everything, right? Not that our apps aren't, but they're segregated to a sense. So now you have all the people who use Facebook Messenger or mess around on Facebook, and they also said like this could, this could carry over to things like Instagram, and you know that's what uh, I use in particular for posting memes. Mm-hmm. Um, like it hasn't even crossed my mind that sometime in 2020, like there might be a wallet inside of Instagram, and what what does that mean? What does that look like? How does that change the way people interact with the app and engage with it? Is there going to be like tipping built in where do people want to tip me now in Facebook coin or global coin? Um, like, are you going to be able to operate businesses? Will it make it in a sense like you can literally set up a business and launch it and connect it to your Instagram and like 
get reports where people can literally pay you for goods and services on the app? Like, I don't know that it sounds pretty fucking wild if you ask me. Um, and if anything, it gets the next generation and the people who are currently using Facebook used to the idea that your apps that you use every single day might start to have wallets inside of them. Like that's a whole different way to think about, um, social media and how you engage um, with your phone and with others over the internet. Yeah, no, it, it'd be really, if there's a wall on Instagram in 2020 or the end of 2019, I don't know what people are going to think of it. That's going to be interesting. The average normie having access to Insta tokens or global coin. Yeah. Right. Like, well, I don't know what that, like how, I mean, we're going to find out, right? It's, I'm, I'm actually pretty excited now that I'm, we're talking about it. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they interact with that. And I, and I heard, heard someone mention that before, like pretty much to be prepared for wallets to start being inside of every app that you use. And it didn't click with me cause like I, I wasn't sure if it was a good idea, but I, I can't think of how I might use it because that doesn't exist for me yet. Like I don't, that's what people use Venmo or the cash app for. Like that's the app that they use to send money from point A to point B or from person A to person B. Um, it never crossed my mind that you could put that same functionality inside of Instagram. And what does, like, how does that change things? And if people get comfortable with that, then how does that change things if there's a Bitcoin wallet inside of certain apps? And then what does that look like? Yeah, it's going to get, I have zero clue. Because, um, you know, we, what, we, we talked about in the previous episode how Kick launched its Kin token and Kick's dead. I don't, I'm going to look at the stats for that. I know we didn't look at that kick users because just to just i don't know kim's not being used at all um right and w- would it be interesting if they launch global coin it's supposed to be a stable coin theoretically yep but what if there's no nobody's using it well yeah I, I, that's the whole point like we're gonna have to wait and see um kicksexting.com that sounds like a good website to go to uh <laughs> it doesn't look I mean, maybe there's under images, kick users, news. Uh, maybe I can find a graph. I'm just really curious to see if anyone's actually using it. You know, just to yeah, because we, we talked about last episode how, ooh, that's pretty sad. This is in the United States. So as of May 2018, by month, so that's a year ago, I guess a little over a year, 9.1 million users or one seven so that's nothing oh yeah yeah like whatsapp isn't that but like, whatsapp's different but like okay and these are messages and whatsapp's apps. got like a billion users yeah and whatsapp's out obviously yeah and that's it's more global uh snapchat has 53 million and then facebook messages 105 so yeah that's pretty uh pretty depressing for kick yeah, I mean, we're gonna have to wait and see. Um, if I mean, more users are leaving Facebook, right? I mean, more people are deleting Facebook than ever before. Um, so many people are getting off of it. Um, yeah, I, if, I if, if censorship continues on Facebook, like people will stop posting videos on it. Like the next generation of kids is certainly not going to use. They Facebook. don't use Facebook. Younger They're, kids they don't, don't use, use Facebook. Like, so, you know, my, what I think is gonna happen is those that next generation the apps that they're going to start gravitating towards will hopefully be smart enough to put Bitcoin wallets embedded in them 
and get that next generation of users using them because they're going to grow up at a time watching fiat money fail. Like as they're, they're like, oh, when I was a kid, all, all these currencies hyperinflated and blah, 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 blah. And that's when we started moving to Bitcoin or whatever, right? It will, mm-hmm. it will become so natural to them. It will be native. Like they'll have always used it. They'll never have opened a bank account. It wouldn't make sense why you and I used to physically go to the ATM to like get money out of it or go to the, to a teller and, you know, or write a check. I mean, it's going to sound so foreign to them. Yeah, no, it's it's exactly like even like my generation checks. I'm a little younger than you. We were same generation, both millennials, but, uh, you know, checks are pretty obsolete. I mean, I got them in some jobs I worked at, but um, obviously more was based on direct deposit and whatnot. And writing checks is non-existent, especially since the advent of like Venmo, Cash App, you name it, and obviously crypto too. But, um, right. So it's it's things are changing to say the least. Um, it'll be interesting to see where we go from here. So I I have no clue with global coin. I I'm just gonna advocate this now. Don't fucking use it, please don't. Like yeah, I'm saying this now, and the for the sake of your safety, your privacy, your whatever. Um, Facebook has abused people's privacy. There's a quote from Mark Zuckerberg. I'm gonna find the picture because it, it's. I could probably just look it up, but basically he said, "I can't believe they actually believe me." Those dumb fucks. It, it, that's what he says. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's from yeah. a while ago. It's from like 2010 or 2009. Yeah, it's like when he was first kind of getting Facebook up and running, and it was before the, the point that he was. The point he was trying to make was people were putting, um, you know, pictures on there, using it for. Uh, essentially was storing pictures for a very long time and talking about their thoughts, feelings, hopes, dreams, um, a lot of things that at the time I re- you wouldn't want to give up that information, right? You wouldn't want to give that to anybody and invade in your own privacy. And I remember a time when you were told not to create an email address that like had your name in it because you didn't want anybody to be able to figure out who it was, right? And try to steal your information. And at this same point in time, people were voluntarily relinquishing their privacy. And he's like, I can't fucking believe people would actually do this. And they did. I'm just going to read this quote and I'll leave this with you guys um, and let you think about using global coin. Don't use it. But here's the quote. Zuck. Yeah, so if you ever need info about anyone at Harvard, just ask. I have over 4,000 emails, pictures, addresses, SNS, and then from the, the other person, what? How'd you manage that one? Zuck, people just submitted it. I don't know why. They trust me. Dumb fucks. And that's it. I mean, think about that. <laughs> I, I don't have to say besides that should clearly tell you don't use Facebook coin. I hope this thing dies and burns and I hope all those corporations that were dumb enough to give Facebook money for a freaking stable coin dot lose their money because it's stupid. Yeah. That's all I have to say. Don't don't participate in um, um, infringing on your own privacy. It's not a good idea. You may regret it later on and wish you had 
um, tried to figure out a way to use Bitcoin privately instead. <laughs> so don't do that. It's a good way to wrap it up. Don't use Facebook coin or global coin, I guess, is the correct term. Yeah, for now, as far as we know, global coin. Well, thank you guys for listening. Uh, Stated as always, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps immensely, moves us up the list, so more people listen to us. And just, you know, we're just trying to grow it naturally. We don't advertise besides for just pumping our post on social media. Uh, you know, just saying, hey, as the episode's out, uh, like and subscribe on YouTube, comment if you want. If you guys want us to review anything or talk about certain points, feel free to DM either of us, we can comment, you name it. Um, and thank you guys. Peace.